make an effort to exhaust the subject, even if that seems grotesque or pointless or stupid. You still haven't looked at anything. You've merely picked out what you've long ago picked out. Georges Perec said that in her Species of Spaces in 1974. Hello and welcome to this week's A Photographic Life. It's been hot here in the shed and in the country over the last week, and I understand worldwide, so my voice might sound a little bit croaky this week because it's quite early in the morning. Never mind, let's move on. A few observations to kick off this week's episode, the first of which is this. The rise of the research-led photographer description. I've started to notice a lot of photographers on their websites describing themselves in that way as research-led. Now, don't misunderstand me here. I'm not going to say that research isn't important in photographic work, particularly when it comes to building narratives, series of work or bodies of work. It's through the research that we understand what we're trying to do and what we're trying to say. However, the addition of the word lead, I think, takes us into a slightly different area. It's something for you to think about, perhaps. Maybe you agree with me and maybe you don't. My thinking is, and my concern, and I suppose in a sense I've seen this evidenced in work that, uh, that I've looked at, is that sometimes if research leads the photography... Where does that leave the photography? Does it become purely a practice, a process in which it's trying to fulfil that research? Perhaps that research has been done or that research-led photography has come or been created for um, some kind of bursary or grant or educational academic reason. So the photographs become illustrations of the thought process of the research rather than as a response to the research. It's an observation that I think's worth thinking about. Another uh, observation I've had over the last couple of weeks, actually, is this. is the use of the word low quality when associated with smartphone photography. Now, we all know that we're at a point at which smartphone photography has been used and is used. This isn't a discussion point. It is used within commercial contexts as covers for magazines, within magazines, for advertising and so forth. We know that's happening. And we also know that the files we now get from our phones are high quality uh, files. So there's no issue there from a technological perspective, surely. However, what I am seeing is comments, and particularly actually to an article I wrote recently, trying to kind of raise this discussion point around, which we kind of talked about last week, uh, photographers being anybody who makes images. And the comments that come back about this idea that if it's a smartphone photograph, it's low quality, or that there's too many images out there now and that they're all low quality. Well, I suppose, you know, we can go through that, and that's kind of boring to me. It's just kind of going over the same old ground. But I thought what was interesting was it instantly raised that idea. Well, who's the judge? 
Who is to say that these photographs are of low quality or high quality? I don't think I'm to judge, and I don't think actually anybody is. The only person who judges whether an image is successful intrinsically is the person who created that image because they knew what they were trying to do. They had their intention, they made the photograph, they can judge whether it worked for them or not. The fact is, of course, in photography, there is no good or bad. I'll just leave you with that contentious thought. Whilst we're uh, talking about photography for all and also uh, observations, I saw that the Photographers' Gallery in London has currently got an exhibition uh, which they've bought from another uh, gallery space in Europe and they've put it up uh, in the Photographers' Gallery, as I say. It's a curated exhibition of work which is all to do with uh, numbers and photography. I think, to me, it feels like one of those kind of projects that fit completely into that research-led envelope, that idea that they came up with a title for the exhibition because it seemed like a good idea and they've kind of gone around to try and find photographs that fit that format. Anyway, I'm, I'm not a huge fan, as you can probably tell, as I'm not actually of a lot of stuff that goes on at the Photographer's Gallery, but that's a separate uh, conversation. But anyway, as I said, it's a curated exhibition, and I just thought it was worth reading to you a quote that was given to Creative Review magazine in the UK by one of the co-curators. It said this, Gamification is a quintessential neoliberal tool. It's about applying game mechanics to non-playful contexts and activities, thus turning playing into a means to achieve something else. It's a complete subversion of value and purpose. A process that should be rewarding in itself becomes instrumentalised. So says co-curator Matteo Bitanti. Well, Matteo, I'm sorry to tell you, I haven't got a clue what you're talking about, and I don't see how it has any relevance to photography. This week, we welcome to the podcast to uh, explain to us what photography means to them in roughly five minutes, a native of Los Angeles, California, Sean Lotman, who's lived in Japan, first in Tokyo, then in Kyoto, since 2003. Lotman draws his inspiration from narrative fiction as well as cinema, his palette honouring the unreal colours of Technicolor films from the 1940s and 1950s. He creates the psychedelic atmosphere in his work through liberal colour experimentation and an unorthodox dodge and burn technique in his darkroom. While printing his images, he is searching for a subjective feeling more resembling reverie than reality. His background is in narrative fiction, and his short stories, essays, and poetry have been published online and in print. His first book, Sunlanders, was published in 2016, featuring coloured darkroom prints made by his own hand. Sean is represented by Gallery Agathe Galliard in Paris, France, and Ibasho in Antwerp, Belgium. He's a member of the Photo Collective and The Last Waves, and uh, the sniper paused so he could wipe his brow. His fourth book was published this year in 2022. He lives in Kyoto, Japan, as I say, with his wife, Ariko, their son, Tenbo, and their dog, Monk. 
My name is Sean Lotman, and I'm a photographer from Los Angeles, California, living in Kyoto, Japan. What does photography mean to me? It's such an important question. It's one that I haven't spent all that time considering. Uh, probably because photography has become such a present, uh, natural element in my life. But it wasn't always something I did. My, ba my background is in writing. Um, I assembled words, not pictures, to tell stories. I didn't even have a camera for most of my 20s. But I loved movies. I always loved movies. I didn't go to art school or have any formal training. So I think I learned what makes a photograph beautiful, like, like composition and lighting um, comes from watching thousands of films. I've never really shot video, but I think I perceive more like a cinematographer than a photographer. Um, one of the best things about becoming passionate about pictures is uh, you really start to appreciate the everyday. Your eye can meander over familiar landscapes because it's more skilled in recognizing details. Um, even when I don't have a camera on me, I can appreciate the light, uh, the potential quality of what I see. Because of photography, I've learned to love light. Uh, it taught me how to look to really, really, really look. I used to take my visual world for granted, but now every day I, I can appreciate how beautiful um, a tree can be or a, a crack in the brick wall, uh, some character I encounter on the street, like a, a full body cloud about to burst with rainfall. I feel like I'm compensating for years of not seeing as much as I could have because seeing, really, really seeing makes being alive so much more delightful. I love my color dark room and I spent thousands of hours there attempting to make beautiful prints. And I'm, I'm grateful to participate in the lineage of working that goes back to the origins of the medium. I feel, I, I like the subtlety of storytelling in photography, how photographs can be assembled to create a mood. And, and that vibe can be almost like a story because strong feelings can be embedded in, in really good pictures. But as a visual artist, it's, it's not enough just to take and make beautiful pictures. Photography is how I can make sense of the world and, and of the people who have made a mark on my life. I think we're just beginning to realize the potential of photo books as a narrative device. Um, biography and memoir are more the, you know, the province of literature or cinema, but done right and well-researched and smartly sequenced and thought through, uh, a photo book uh, as biography or memoir can be an enormous, cath enormously cathartic work of art. It's this merging of the personal with the universal, the story in pictures 
of a mother, a son, a sister, a friend of, of yourself. And it can remind readers whom and what we've loved may be lost in our own lives. To me, photo books are the apex of photography as art. And I really think that we're in a golden age that's just getting underway. So I guess you could say photography has considerable meaning to me. It's how I tell the stories of my imagination. It's also how I make sense of my place in the world. It's how I um, understand the people I love, have loved. So it has come to mean something like a life's purpose. I guess you could say photography is not a lifestyle, but rather it's something more like a life. Thank you, Sean, for your contribution this week. I always enjoy hearing photographers kind of joining up the arts, I suppose, seeing the relevance of filmmaking, seeing the relevance of reading, of narrative, of storytelling, of writing and bringing those two things together. I'm being very selfish there, I suppose, because that's how I come to photography and that's how I perceive photography. And I have to be honest, it's how I see photography moving forward. And I think by rejecting those key elements, those core elements, what you're actually doing is building a kind of a, an immediate stagnation into your photographic practice. We need to absorb from other areas to constantly fill up that glass. I often use the metaphor of a glass of milk that we're given when we're born. And uh, creatively, we keep going to that glass of milk and taking a sip through our kind of younger years and teenage years and as we grow. Well, if we keep doing that, but we don't top up that glass of milk, we're going to go to that glass of milk one day and there's not going to be anything there and we're going to be in trouble. For me, engaging with the varied art forms out there, different creative mediums, is a way of topping up that glass to ensure that we keep having those inspirational kind of, that inspirational input really that we need. So for me, great to hear from Sean there. And I really liked his, um, his approach, really, he seemed to almost be kind of dragging it out of himself with almost a kind of frustration. And I, I really, uh, I really like that. So thanks very much, Sean. And as always, check out Sean Lotman's work on his website. As always, I think you'll find it really interesting. Something I wanted to uh, talk about last week, but kind of ran out of time. And I've got to be honest, I kind of forgot. But anyway, there was a big furore that uh, came up over the Annie Leibovitz photographs for Vogue magazine of uh, the Ukraine First Lady, Alina Zelenska, and uh, the president, her husband, uh, Vladimir uh, Zelensky. And it seemed to kick up a firestorm of controversy, primarily, it seems, amongst those who took a very strong kind of I suppose, political uh, take on the images and the kind of images, because they were Leibovitz images, so they had a certain kind of glamour about them and post-production quality, very different, supposedly, to a lot of the work coming out of Ukraine that's documenting the 
atrocities going on there. Although, as I've spoken about in a previous podcast, I do sense an element of post-production in those images anyway, but we'll move on. So the big argument was about these images and their appropriateness. And I saw a lot of people, primarily interestingly enough, coming from the contemporary art photography market uh, and practice, uh, commenting on this, that this was terrible. Well, as a previous Condé Nast art director who's commissioned photographers to make exactly this kind of work, I thought that the pictures were very successful. I thought that they showed strength. I thought that they were powerful. And, and you may or may not like Leibovitz's work and so forth. And I know quite a lot about it, I have to say. I have an insider's track because over the years I've spoken to a number of her assistants about how she actually works. And I've been in the studio when she's been making work. So let's put that to, to one side, shall we? I think the most important thing for me was how many Ukrainian people I saw saying that this was great and being positive about the images and positive that their first lady was on the cover of American Vogue. And for me, that's the most important thing. It actually worked for the people of the country. Perhaps others didn't get it. But as I say, I didn't hear anybody from the commissioned magazine editorial uh, kind of, I suppose, sector of photography community um, talking out about this. I saw a few people with strong political views from a UK perspective talking out about it. But there again, are they just talking about somebody else's lived experience and not their own? And are they putting their own understanding of photography that they're not involved in on somebody else's? I think that's an often uh, kind of taken on board. That often happens. And I think that's a real mistake within our photographic community. It happens a lot, this kind of tribalism. And in a time when tribalism seems to be getting stronger and stronger, particularly in politics in the UK and US, we really don't need it in photography. Whilst we're talking about that idea of uh, tribalism, I wrote an article recently about the outsider, the outsider in photography and how we should perhaps all embrace a little bit of the outsider within ourselves. And that's at unitednationsofphotography.com. Well, I got a comment uh, that came back about that uh, article from uh, a reader, a listener, and I thought I'd share it with you because I thought it was quite interesting and it will leave you perhaps with a couple of questions for yourselves this week to think about. It said this, uh, there's a void in today's photography stroke art practice, that of making work for the pleasure of making work, for the fulfillment and holistic benefit it brings to you as the maker. Everything seems now to need to be shown, to be promoted, marketed, to get likes, to be judged in order for the maker to be able to form a view as to whether it's any good. The confidence to have that view yourself or alternatively to decide not to be worried about it is very hard to attain. It takes time, work and effort. I haven't got there at all. Also, though, you come to questions of agency. Would outsider artists who are unable to form or voice their opinions choose to have their works exhibited and sold? Would Vivian Meyer have wanted the hullabaloo that has surrounded her work since she died? Who gets to decide? It is nevertheless enormously exciting to contemplate being an outsider photographer. 
I think that's an excellent uh, comment. And also, I have to, <laughs> I'm very pleased that I get such great reflections to the work that we put out there with the idea of discussion and debate. So thank you very much to the person who posted that comment. Lots to talk about, lots to think about. But also in the coming weeks, there's a lot of worry for you uh, economically and for us, for all of us, you know. These are dark and difficult times. And as I record this particular episode, things are really kicking off down in southern Florida. Let's hope that comes to a conclusion that sorts things out for America and for the future. Speaking of which, don't forget that in a future issue, I'm going to be introducing the monthly In Conversation with Bill Shapiro. If you've listened to Bill on previous episodes, you'll know that that's going to be an exciting and perhaps slightly controversial series of conversations. Anyway, they're going to be happening the first week of each month starting in September. Uh, I'm going to take care over the next week. I hope you do too.